the Cinderella podcast, where we watch and review every Cinderella adaptation we can get our hands on, discussing the same story over and over until we slowly go insane. I'm Liv. And I'm Talon. And today we watched Cindy, made in 1978, which we're going to go ahead and call the Harlem Cinderella because its tagline on YouTube when we watched it was Charlene Woodard, a Cinderella in Harlem. But, uh, that does not even begin to come close to describing this. So, uh, you know. Not at all. Just strap in. It's going to be great. So, yeah, just uh, some quick backstory. This is another all-black cast, Cinderella, made in 1978. But it's set in 1943. It's very critically set in 1943. This makes a lot of... It matters. It matters that it's set in 43. It's a musical, which we were a little concerned about. Musicals tend to be a little iffy, especially if they're from the 70s. So let's let's just go ahead and start. Great. So we start with the classic storybook. And on the page, it says, Once upon a time in a faraway country, there lived a young girl whose name was Cinderella. And this is being read out loud at the same time. And then the voiceover continues, this is a ripoff of that story. And we find out that we're in South Carolina in 1943. And there's music. It turns out that the music is happening in the background, but also within the scene, which is my favorite thing for music to do in a movie. Uh, And we see this band basically slowly roll a piano and carry all their instruments down this road, set up in the middle of the road, and just play as we get our opening credits. And this is gonna be a trend. Every time a song happens in universe, like it's a musical in the sense that people sing at the same time with pre-choreographed lyrics, pre-written, everything like that. And there's music in the background, but the music also starts to appear within the shot in the universe and it's very charming it's delightful it is an absolute joy every time it happens so yeah this band is in the middle of a dirt road and a really old-fashioned jetsony kind of bus drives by and we see that cindy is on the bus and she's going to new york she's wearing a yellow dress with like an apron and she's got lots of little braids and pigtails in her hair and she's kind of and like ribbons in her hair yeah, she's really excited. The music that they're playing, by the way, is Tuxedo Junction, which made me really happy. Oh. Uh, so we get to New York and we see New York, and we're supposed to be sort of awed with the New Yorkiness of it, but I am just in shock and horror because this was filmed in 1978, and the sky is just. There is no sky, it's just smog. It looks like that scene in The Fifth Element where they go down below. <laughs> It looks like that. It was truly disturbing. Yeah, it looks a little post-apocalyptic, but also like very busy, very exciting. It's the big city, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Before we get too far, I just want to say that I don't know how old Cindy is, and context clues vary. The way she dresses and sort of speaks about herself seems to imply that she's a kid but the actress was 25 and her manner isn't very childlike 
I don't even know how to explain it. It confused me and it made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, she is a time traveler is all I can explain. Like she is 14 in some scenes and she's 19 in some scenes and she's 25 in some scenes. So the timeline of this movie is three days, by the way. Yes. So so there's no, she doesn't live with the stepmother for a long time, which is baffling. So the bus pulls in. Cindy gets off after a whole bunch of soldiers because this is set during World War II, and don't you forget it. Mm-hmm. And Cindy gets off the bus, and there's a man waiting for her, and it turns out that it's her father. She jumps into his arms, and it's clearly a reunion. He's saying a lot of things that are like, oh, let me look at you. Oh, wow, I have all these things to show you. One of the things that her dad is saying is, oh, look at you, look at you. It's been so long since he's seen her. And a soldier walks by and looks at her. And the dad goes, don't you look at her. (laughs) Which brings us to the humor of this movie. Because this movie has so many hysterical one-liners that they don't even address. They just straight man the entire thing. They don't make a joke and really pause it for laughs like, boop, 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 boop. They'll just drop a line and move on, and you, the audience, are left going, what? This movie has very brisk back-and-forth humor, Mm -hmm. and it's very, very good. It really is. The band, by the way, is still in this scene playing Tuxedo Junction. They are on a luggage trolley with an upright piano and an upright bass, just still playing Tuxedo Junction. But they're being wheeled through the Mm -hmm. scene this subway bus station scene it's a it's a delight so the dad is really excited to have her in new york he has brought her up because he finally has a good job and he's going to show her all around and what's his job oh man he is the doorman at the plaza hotel the plaza hotel indeed fancy hotel and he wears a big red coat with a gold jacket and people will tip him a whole quarter which we did a lot of financial conversions, was like $4. And they always said, please to him, oh, please, could you call me a taxi? Please, could you get me a, a cab? And she's incredibly impressed that people would tip him an entire quarter. So they walk past a garbage truck, and this is a tiny scene, but it's weird. And she asks what it is, because she hasn't seen a garbage truck before. And they call her a country bumpkin. So it seems like she's from a farm somewhere she's just a simple country girl in the big city yeah but she doesn't play it like a simple country girl in a big city she plays it like a toddler sometimes yes because she's like excited about the trash she's like oh my gosh who would throw this out it's like living with one of your depression era grandparents who's like what no you save the tinfoil so you can use it again okay you say that but when i moved to america i literally didn't know that the word garbage meant like garbage or trash because everyone at school always said throw it into the trash can so i knew what trash was and i knew what garbage day was garbage day was the day that americans who were so rich they didn't know what to do with all their stuff would put out cool stuff on the sidewalk in case anybody wanted it that's how we got like three different couches a bunch of lawn furniture and a whole bunch of toys and bikes and all sorts of things. So, I mean, to be fair, I, I have several baggies in my house full of folded up tinfoil that 
we just reuse for things like cookies that so anyways the point is she's excited uh-huh, about this uh-huh. garbage and it comes back as a joke later he is really excited to introduce her to the stepmother to his new wife and he says honey i want you to wait in the street because your stepmother she's gonna want to get all prettied up for you and we're like okay that's seems a little suspicious but okay you're leaving your brand new child in just the streets of harlem okay and she goes daddy what's my new stepmama like he tries to describe the stepmother to her and um what what does he come up with talon for this uh this new woman that he's married so he thinks about it and he's like well you know how a cactus has thorns on the outside and is soft and smooth and sweet as sugar on the inside which is gross by the way yep and she's like yeah and he goes well i'm hoping she's like that it's just the best zinger it's amazing so yeah he goes inside it's like a brownstone building and he goes upstairs to their apartment the stepmother is there the two stepdaughters are there they're played by also adult women actresses but it does seem like they're meant to be kind of young i don't know they look about the same age as the stepmother to me quite honestly they they do so they're trying on these dresses not that they're like putting them on but that they put them on and they're spinning around and looking at themselves so they're doing the final fittings because they're using a lot of pins to get them exactly the right shape and the stepmother is sort of scolding them for you know wasting pins or dropping pins because those are expensive then the stepmother tells the stepdaughters it's about time you girls started kissing your stepfather when he comes home and no one seems happy about it. Like no. they don't want to do it. And he also doesn't seem like he wants it to happen. And he's like, no, it, uh, we have lots of time before we all need to be physically affectionate. And, but then they decide to kiss him anyway and pass on something gross inside okay. their mouths. Okay. So what they do is Please explain this to me, because it was either ink or a frog or something. Oh, I'm so glad you think it was ink or a frog, because it's worse than that. Oh, Jesus so, Christ, okay. The dad is like, oh, no, I don't want to rush the girls um, to get physically affectionate. Uh, could be could be years. We could wait years. It'd be fine. And then he asks them to leave the room so that he can talk to his wife. And they go in the corner and kind of giggle and cackle a little bit. And he starts to talk to the stepmother whose name is sarah and gets like three words out and is interrupted and they go we've decided that it is time to kiss stepdaddy and they each kiss him on the lips but they have spit pins into his mouth oh pins oh my god because he then spits out a mouthful of pins that's horrible i can't believe i missed that and that's played as just like a a joke just like a golly gee ha 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 and they sort of they laugh they think this is hilarious and they go downstairs to be outside yep so so that wasn't great didn't love that but uh the dad now starts this conversation with sarah and he goes sarah there's something i didn't tell you while we were recording and talon and i both went oh no (laughs) yep i i didn't tell you that i was married before and she spins in her chair and she's a very severe looking woman and she spins in her chair and she goes you were married and we were both like oh boy 
that's that's a strong reaction to had been married this is not this does not bode well this is going real bad and he's like yes also i had a child and she's like you had a he's like yeah also a grown child and she's here because i invited her here and i told her she could live with us and he just spits it all out real fast and she just sort of rocks back in her chair and she's like i don't believe it and the dad says oh honey just relax and i was like bad call uh that's not not a great idea and he goes oh just just meet her you'll you'll love her she'll make your two daughters look like dog meat as a selling point as a selling point and then realizes what he's said because she gives him this look like what the appropriate reaction the to appropriate, that yes using stronger language than we tend to use on this podcast and she's furious because she's like we don't have enough room in this tiny apartment for the four of us why didn't you tell me there's not enough there's not enough food there's not enough money there's not enough room and she and he goes well i'm scared you wouldn't have married me and she's like i wouldn't have married you and then as if he's like won the argument he goes see haha uh, and smiles at her and that's the kind of dude he is he is he's the worst father we've ever seen he's the worst he is a mess this guy is just like such a perpetual screw-up like it means well enough but it just sucks but can't follow through he doesn't have any backbone he makes decisions then can't follow through with them he's really fearful but not but in a like, way that's at least consistent he's the worst most of the problems that i have in this movie come with him he's and... just charming enough to have gotten by for like a little bit too long mm -hmm. by screwing up and screwing people over it feels like i don't know we we might be bringing like a little bit of personal dislike into this but this dude sucks anyways so we go outside because now the stepsisters and cinderella have to have their first interaction together of course they haven't heard that they have a stepsister moving in they left before this conversation so cindy's watching some kids jump rope and she's just delighted their experience is they walk outside in their nice, pretty, white and purple fitted dresses, see a new person that they don't recognize who's having a good time watching children jump rope and go, would you look at that trash? To which Cindy goes, I know I was admiring it myself earlier. It just, <laughs> there are so many moments in this where I feel like the zingers happen so well that the person on the other end of the zinger is looking at the director like, was that in the script? Was that supposed to be the line? I feel like that wasn't supposed to be the line. Are we? We're still rolling. Okay. Okay. It feels like a lot of times people don't know they've been insulted because it happens so fast. Yeah, but like, there's not enough time to respond to it or something. It's really funny. So at this point, the band walks back into the scene. They sure do. <laughs> and we get this uh, musical number where Cindy jumps in and basically introduces herself yeah. via a jumping rope chant slash rap and she's very good and the stepsisters are jealous and now they know that she's cindy and she's from out of town and also <laughs> she says that she doesn't have a husband she's just the kid and the kids that she's playing with are definitely actual children well she's like my name is Cindy, and my husband's name's Sid. I'm just kidding. I don't have a husband. I'm just a kid. It was one of those weird, like, 
K-I-S-S-I-N-G moments. Maybe we're missing some, like, context, context? for either the 70s or the 40s. Pro- probably both, to be perfectly honest. Um, like, I'm only familiar with jump rope chants for a very specific period in time, and it is neither of those. That's fair. So the stepsisters push her out of the jump rope, and they start to do a double dutch because they're going to do better jump roping and they continue this chanting semi-rap double dutch song and they are mean to cindy they insult her face and then they start insulting her mom at which point she goes from zero to 60 real fast so here's how this interaction plays out so the stepsisters whose names are venus and olive but we don't know this yet i don't think also that is an incredible combination. Oh, like, yeah. you have this very godlike Venus, and then Olive, which is a type of, like, berry? Condiment. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like, Minerva and ketchup. I don't know. It's great. Amazing. <laughs> uh, so, one of the stepsisters goes to make a joke about Cindy's mom, and she immediately goes, don't you talk about my mama? And the stepsister goes, well, how about I talk about Joe? And she goes, who's Joe? And she goes, Joe Mama sleeps with pigs. And the other sister chimes in with, and they don't like it. It's real rough. But uh, Cindy responds to this by picking up a trash can full of rotten vegetables and chicken parts and just hurling it at them. And they are covered with rotten garbage. Well, they call her trash. And she says, that was a no insult. That was a prediction. Oh. And throws the trash on them. I missed that line. Thank you. Uh, that yeah. makes it better. Yeah. So they already hate each other. They have insulted each other's mothers because the stepmother made those dresses, basically. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we cut back to Cindy's father, whose name is Thomas. And he's trying to convince the stepmother that, you know, everything's going to be fine. And he's like, oh, you might not love her at first, but, you know, we'll, you'll get there. And he goes to call Cinderella, Cindy, to come in. And he does so by, like, sticking his head out the window. And he's about to call for her. But the stepmother, Sarah, says, don't yell out the window. That's for low-class people. And he goes, right, you are. And so instead, he yells through the window to one of their neighbors but not very loudly and gets her to shout down into the street for him and then the stepsisters walk in and they're covered in trash hang on you missed the critical part of that joke so he calls to the lady upstairs and he's like oh hey mrs pillman could you call Cindy and tell her I want her to come inside? And we hear from off screen, Cindy, your daddy wants to talk to you. Come inside. And he's like, thank you, Mrs. Pillman. And then he pulls his head back inside the window and looks at his wife and goes, those Pillmans are such lower class people. Yes. It's just, anyways, yeah, the stepsisters run in just covered in garbage, screaming and crying, weeping and wailing. And he goes, girls, this is a happy occasion. Get ready to meet your new stepsister. And Cindy walks in, and the stepsisters are like, that's the girl. She did it. She destroyed these clothes. And by the way, um, there have been a couple of mentions already about this is a wartime, and we're trying to scrimp and save money, and the stepmother has had to spend money on these, and has spent a lot of time making them, and it's important that they not get dirty. And 
there's this big fracas between everybody where the stepmother is rightfully furious about this and she's like did you do this and the dad immediately jumps in and is like oh no no no, no. it was probably it was probably just the neighbor boys they they always do stuff like this and cindy's like no it was me i did and she feels really bad about it i'm not sure why um but she well, does the stepmother is clearly mad she's got her arms crossed oh she's furious and she's a very imposing lady yes like this is a very sad serious hot moment for yeah. cindy mm-hmm. this was her first impression and it is completely ruined yeah the stepmother is like so you destroyed my girl's beautiful dresses and you just she sort of goes off on her and she's like all right go to your room and i say out loud how would she know where her room is she literally just walked in but the movie is with me and cindy tries to go to a room and the stepmother goes not that one she goes to a different room not that one <laughs> that's your room and she points to her room and cindy goes that's the bathroom and someone goes it's your room and i told you to go to it it's also the middle of the day like it's it's bedtime now though so she goes to her father for a second and the stepmother stops her and says what do you think you're doing and cindy's goes i was just gonna kiss my daddy good night since evidently i'm being locked in the bathroom and the stepmother goes i told you to go to bed and just insists that she goes to the bathroom to sleep now in the middle of the day we cut to cindy laying in the tub and her cheeks are wet and her father kind of sneaks in very quietly and he goes oh honey don't cry and then there's a pause and he goes oh you're not crying and we realize that the sink has been dripping on her face yep and she's so sad about all of this she's like no i i deserve this i i'm glad i'm being punished like this is right did not like that and she also asks him about the sugar hill ball Mm -hmm. because that's what the dresses are for and this is happening tomorrow i guess Mm -hmm. and this is our like that's our big dance that's the ball Mm -hmm. and then the stepmother comes in to like brush her teeth Mm -hmm. and i thought that she would be ignoring cindy but no everyone is just openly acknowledging that cindy's laying there in the bathtub because that's where she's been banished and then the stepmother has the family heart to heart with the father and cindy and it basically boils down to look we all hate each other but we can still be happy yep Mm -hmm. and cindy promises to do her best then she asks about the ball again Mm -hmm. and is told that like oh it's amazing it's one of the best dances and she's like well can i go and the stepmother is like no no you don't have a dress and it'll be embarrassing and she says well i do i do have a party dress i brought one with me and it turns out to be the dress that she's wearing which is not up to snuff apparently yeah the stepmother says if i get the time and if i get the material and if everybody's real good i'll make you a gown nothing special just something we won't be embarrassed by so go to bed pray before you sleep and go to sleep which at this point i'm like what how is this an evil stepmother like this is because normally you get an evil step she will turn out to be pretty evil later but also kind of not like not as bad as the dad 
No, the dad is definitely the worst. Because this, imagine this woman's day. You've spent an incredible amount of time and money for the time trying to get your girls ready. Because if they get married, then they'll leave and you'll have more money to spend. She's just been told that her brand new husband has invited his new daughter that she knows nothing about to come and live with them. And then her daughter's running covered in literally hot garbage, yes. which the new daughter has thrown on them. And, you know, obviously the stepmother needs to take some time to cool down. She's furious. So she very, you know, sensibly makes that separation so that she can, you know, calm down. And she's like, okay, you know what? We don't like each other, but we can make it work. I'll make you a dress. What? Yeah, this woman is great. I'm so sorry she's having a bad day. Me too. And I mean, I think Cindy's sorry she's having a bad day. And like, this all feels like it could actually be fine, maybe. Yeah. Which obviously is not the plot of a Cinderella. No. And this woman is, again, very prickly. This is not a cuddly woman. This is a very imposing, prickly lady. Very frosty. Very frosty. Not not easy to approach there's a there's a wall there but uh she's not being evil anyways so cindy prays by the bathtub and then we cut to church the next morning and this is just another scene of cindy not fitting in she's told that you know we're episcopalians now we don't worship the same there's no hallelujahs no clapping and stopping no glory be and cindy's like i don't know if i can hold it in and makes a really great comment of service like that i don't know why god would bother to come which is pretty funny <laughs> and so this, there's this very sedate church scene but cindy literally cannot help it and she's doing the glory be hallelujah repeating back what the pastor has said and she's doing the like southern black baptist revival thing so they start to sing and she she sings better than everybody and she can't sing straight and she winds up converting the entire chorus to a like baptist revival gospel she gives herself a solo it's is what happens. It's delightful. The stepmother is furious. The band shows up in this scene because now this is a song, so the band has to show up in church with them. And we also see the congregation and the chorus get swayed by this because when she first starts singing, there's like one lady in the back of the chorus who starts cheering and like clapping along. Mm -hmm. And then like as she sings, some people in the congregation are like vibing to it. And some people are giving those people dirty looks. So it's all very scandalous. Yeah. And so we can see that this is not great, but a lot of people are having a good time. So it's not like she's just out there by herself making a fool of herself. Not, Step not, the, not the priest, though. The priest doesn't like it. Priest the is pastor? not happy. Pastor? Teacher? I don't know. The dude the at dude, the front. The main guy. He's not, he's not happy. <laughs> nope. And we see the stepmother turn to the father and say, I'm glad... I told that girl that she could go to the Sugar Hill Ball because now I get to take it away from her. I'm going to make her the most miserable kid. And he just looks at her like, aw, shucks. And I'm like, and then the song ends and Cindy goes, hallelujah. Fade to it was, black. It was pretty funny. So then we're back at the house. The stepsisters wake up Cindy with a list of chores left by their mother that they're supposed to split up. And... Cindy has to like clean the bathroom, sweep the floors, all of that stuff. And she's like, Well, that sounds real hard. Like, what what are you guys gonna do? And they tell her that they're gonna make themselves beautiful for the ball. And she says, Oh, looks like I got the easy list after all. It's an amazing zinger. But one it's of the items great. on that 
one of the items on that list is you have to brillo the fire escape. So she's being asked to, like, with a pot scrubber, scour the wrought iron fire escape outside of her house. We uh, also find out in this scene that the stepmother has been excommunicated and is not taking it well. Can you get excommunicated? I'm an Episcopalian church. <laughs> Save this for the after party. So that scene ends and we get another scene of Cindy, you know, scrubbing the balcony and her father walks in and notices that she's bleeding from the scrubbing. Mm -hmm. And she tells him what's been going on. He gets very upset and very righteous about it and goes, well, if I was half a man, I would make sure that you would go to that dance. He thinks about it for a second and he goes, well, wait a minute, I am half a man. I'm gonna tell that woman you'll be treated as an equal. So he leaves Cindy behind on the balcony and stomps into his wife's bedroom goes to slam the door, changes his mind at the last second to gently pull it closed. The strategy he ends up going with is to yell very aggressively, get up out of that bed, woman, and then immediately, like, dead man fall onto the bed and pretend like he's also just waking up and be like, oh, man, I guess it's the neighbor shouting again. <clears throat> Anyways, why don't you make a new dress for Cindy? And then she says the most devastating line I've ever heard in my life. She very like solemnly goes, Thomas, do you think I'm a bad woman? And he's like, no, no, of course not. I think you're a good woman. And she goes, does Cindy think I'm a bad woman? And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm sure Cindy understands. And she goes, well, you better look again because I am a bad woman. And that girl is going to pay for humiliating me. It was incredible. It was amazing. It's I was like in awe. It's wild. <laughs> the gravitas. It's, it's wild. Um, anyway, so we cut back to Cindy and she's out on the veranda and she has woken up her neighbor who is sleeping on a neighboring fire escape. It's okay, though. It's covered. It's covered. Uh, he lives in like there, a tent-like way. Yeah. This is his home. This is Michael. He lives there. He's like, oh, I remember you. You woke me up the other day, too. And we find out that he is a draft dodger. Because she's like, are you wounded? Are you not in? What's happening? And finally, she realizes that he's a draft dodger. And he gives this long speech about how nice it is to be a coward and how cowards never hurt anybody. And hey, if all the Japanese were cowards, we wouldn't even have a war now, would we? It was a weird, weird line. So she essentially agrees with him, but is like very turned off by the fact that he's a draft dodger and we find out that the way he did this is by working as a chauffeur for someone who's like very rich mm -hmm. and that does come into play later yeah so he sort of responds with that's the one downside of being a coward you don't get much love mm -hmm. so the dad is still trying to convince the stepmother to let her go and he's like please honey i'll do anything you want and she goes you'll do anything i want anyways which was just insane anyways she gives me she gives me very strong like angelica houston vibes like sort of a cross between her as the stepmother and ever after and also her as morticia like okay. that kind of like steely like power okay you know who and she, also kind of evil she gives me the vibes of um who played mama in uh chicago oh queen latifah 
a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyways, the stepsisters have heard dad losing an argument to his wife again. And they like, neener, neener, neener. And he tricks them into getting whipped cream on their faces by turning a fan on. And then just neener, neeners them back. Uh, frankly, the three of them deserve each other. They do. They are well suited. So he goes back out to tell Cindy that, you know, hey, your stepmother said no, but I'm going to get enough money to buy you a dress. You are going to go. And we cut to the Plaza Hotel. He is, in fact, not a doorman. What is his job, Talon? He's a bathroom attendant. He's inside the Plaza Hotel. He's in the bathroom. I don't know what a bathroom attendant is for, and the very idea makes me uncomfortable. If I ever run into a person in the bathroom who's attempting to hand me a towel or do anything for me, I will immediately go back into a stall and then refuse to come out. Like, this is literally my worst fear, but apparently people tip him for the service this was a thing this is a known thing in the 40s i was familiar with this concept i mean i've i've come across this concept before i'm just sharing my personal stance on it which is that it's bad and oh, it's you terrifying shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't have it so the actual doorman comes in and he's got a giant jingly pocket of money and thomas the dad says you know hey could you put a quarter on my tip plate because no one's giving me any tips just to sort of get the ball rolling and the actual doorman is like, oh, man, I've only got half dollars. But he finds a quarter. And it's just like making a lot of money. This is a good job. And we see that Thomas wants it. And we also see that they're friends. And they're kind of like clearly joking back and forth a little bit. And we also establish Thomas's character more of like, no, I don't take money from friends. But if you could borrow, I don't borrow money. But if I could borrow some money, he's he's that kind of person. Yeah. So the attendant takes off his big red coat with it's just a giant band coat it's just a big red coat with gold braid all over it and he's just wearing pajamas under it like long johns he's just wearing giant underwear like he's not wearing trousers and a shirt he's wearing long johns i always assumed that people had to wear like a full suit under that but i, I guess not i that was very baffling anyways the dad tries it on he asks how much a dress costs and the guy's like, oh, well, are you thinking like a chiffon or like a, a full-length organdy? And the dad goes, well, I was thinking like something blue. And the doorman goes, oh, blue's going to cost you. And he's like, how much will it cost? And they're like, I don't know, $20. And he's like, $20? We Googled this. $20 has an equivalent buying power of $350. So I don't... I think it's pretty unreasonable to expect to make 350 in tips as a bathroom attendant a day, but also I think you could get an okay dress for less than $350. I was also thinking that until I thought about the fact that like, I don't know how much off the rack dresses they had that looked nice enough in the forties. There were some, there like, did they have, like, thrift stores with, like, fancy old dresses that they you had... could get on the cheap? Or did people just keep that forever? You did tend to keep things forever, but there were department stores, and you could, like, I think this is unreasonable. I don't think the 70s Googled how much that was going to be in the 40s. Well, they certainly didn't Google it. That's fair. So Thomas asks the other attendant guy if he can borrow $20, and the attendant goes, no. Do you even know what I'm saving money for? And Thomas is like, no. And the attendant goes, because I like to. And he just <laughs> walks away. 
and Thomas goes, oh, today I'd do anything for a tip. And a guy walks into the bathroom with two broken arms and a cast uh, held up. Like, he's broken both elbows somehow. And Thomas looks at the guy and goes, wash your hands, real hopefully. And the guy gives him this very sort of creepy smile and shakes his head. And then we just cut to a different scene, and we're going to pretend that that didn't happen. Yep. So now we're back at the apartment again, and Cinderella's helping the stepsisters finish getting ready. She's supposed to iron their dresses, and she's also patting their brassiers. Mm -hmm. But she's not finished yet, because they only have the one box of tissues. And then we get kind of like another example of Cindy being like very snarky back at the stepsisters but with a very like butter wouldn't melt in my mouth kind of way about it which is so funny every single time to me oh my but God. she's like oh is that what a girdle is i can hardly wait until i get fat enough to need one so uh for our younger audience who didn't grow up with parents in the depression a girdle is basically old-timey shapewear but which instead hurts of you into shape which hurts you into shape. But because we have like incredible technologically advanced fabrics that are, you know, better than the 40s, uh, shapewear today hurts less. Shapewear back then was just a giant heavy plastic mm, skin suit that you pulled over your chub. Which they're having a hard time doing, so Cindy helps by rubbing one of the stepsisters down with pig fat, and when she tells the stepsister what it is, she goes, oh, I thought it smelled good, and then she applies some perfume for them. And then we get to another musical number, because well, we sure Cindy do. really wants to know about the Sugar Hill Ball, and she wants to know what it's going to be like. She's like, oh, tell me how it's going to be. And they go, he, he, he. And basically they tell her that there's no words for it. It's just so unspeakably amazing that there's nothing they could do to describe it. And after all, it would only break her heart. And then the gears kind of turn on their heads. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll give it a try. This song, by the way, is a fast minor key swing tune. It is a delight. It's been stuck in my head. I've replayed it several times. I've been singing it. This is an amazing song. All the reviews online mentioned this song, and I was baffled by it until we got to this moment when I was like, this is the greatest musical number I've ever seen. Because then Cindy joins in with the song and sort of does this fun syncopation like between the verses to engage with the sisters who are singing in harmony doing their own things. The band has appeared in their apartment, by the way. Like, sitting in the sink, just around. Some of them are just, like, kind of poking in through the doorway. Another guy has just, like, basically halfway crawled through the window with a fairly large instrument. Yep. So Cindy asks them to describe the boys who are going to be at this dance. And the stepsisters are like, oh, we can describe the boys. And they immediately go into nothing but scat. So they're just like, biddly bop, 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 biddly doo, skiddly doo, doo, skiddly dee. And they're just all doing this, but doing very exaggerated hand gestures and arm flexing of like sexy muscles, bow tie, big shoulders, woo, woo, woo. It's so, so it's a lot of scatting, but it's very like 
wow, 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 and yowza kind of scatting. It's a delight. And then they grind the song to a screeching halt as the stepsisters are like, hang on, you are too happy about this. You hate this us. This is you very should... suspicious. They're like, wait, you should you should be sad. You can just beat your head against the wall and cry. We'd, we'd be fine with that. And Please, don't, don't stop on our account. Yeah. <laughs> so Cindy goes, oh, well, I'm happy for you, stepsisters. And they're like, no, you, you hate our guts. And she's like, no, I don't. I think they're your most attractive feature. And they're kind of blinded slash baffled by that long enough for her to redirect them by asking about the band. And then there's more scatting, but now it's imitating how wah-wah, woo, and boom, boom, boom the music the is. Yeah. This is a delightful song. I'm having a great time watching this. They're obviously supposed to be sort of aggressively singing at her and kind of antagonizing her. It's failing because the three of them are obviously having such a fun time. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the vibe. Yeah. So the song kind of ends and the stepsisters are still suspicious. You know, she's still too happy and she can't hold it in any longer. And she tells them that like, oh, daddy's earning the money to get her a dress. And they laugh at her. Oh, they fall, like, they, they fall over laughing. They literally like fall out of their chairs laughing at her. And she's insisting that he'll do it just like he said he would. And they're like, listen, the fact that you've got so much faith in daddy means that those pigtails are cutting off the circulation to your brain. At which point the father comes home and we find out that the amount he got in tips is $3.23, which today has a buying power of $50, which you could absolutely buy a pretty enough, like, you could absolutely buy a pretty enough dress for $50. You could rent a pretty dress for $50, even if you couldn't buy one. You could probably borrow a pretty dress from somebody for $50. Yeah. Anyways, so it's the evening now. The stepsisters are making fun of her just randomly. The stepmother is in this beautiful sort of orange tight gown with these incredible rolls in her hair. And she's furious that the father is so late coming home. He's supposed to drive them. Yeah. But he has to tell Cindy that he doesn't have the money for this dress. And she does such a great job of being super disappointed, but trying to say that it's fine. She's like, no, I, I, I wasn't really, I, I made a big deal out of it. It's not, it's fine. It's, it's really kind of heartbreaking. Oh. And stepmother is yelling at the dad and she tells him to hurry up and get dressed. And he insist that if they're not taking Cindy, then he's not taking them. And she's like, that'll be an embarrassment. And he's like, I don't care. I've got something better to do. I'm going to get drunk. And so the step family leaves. And dad joins Cinderella on the fire escape and is like, I, I know how you feel. I don't know what to say. Do you want to get drunk with me? And she's like, no, daddy, I'm fine. Like, anyways. So they kind of talk about her mom a little bit and they see the stepmother and stepsisters laughing as they get into a taxi and she just basically is like you know what I feel bad that I made a fuss about this there'll be other dances you know this is just one it's fine the dad like looks at her and goes Cindy you're so brave I could die and he leaves at which point Cindy starts crying and she goes, and, he goes not so brave daddy and it's very sad 
yeah, like this scene is genuinely moving and I was not ready to experience real emotions during this movie. Mm-mm. But that's okay because then we pan slightly up and Michael, the dude that lives on the fire escape next door, was watching this scene and my notes just say question mark. Yep. So we cut inside to the kitchen and Cindy's doing dishes, grousing like, I wish I was back with my grandmother. I don't know why I ever came here. I'm going to go back as soon as I can. And someone is pounding at the door and she finally opens it and it's Michael and he's wearing a uniform and she thinks he's enlisted, but in fact, it's his chauffeur's uniform. And it turns out that they are going to go to the dance. He's going to take her to the dance and they have a bunch of weird, there's a weird running joke here, which I was not a huge fan of where every time she country bumpkin misunderstands something like she says, Northerners just can't take a joke. So Like, she thinks the limo is a hearse. She thinks that they're going to, like, sneak in in the back, but they're actually just going to go in. It's not clear if she's joking or not when she says... That she's joking. ...these things. And then she claims she knew and was joking all along, and it's unclear if that's a joke or not. Or, like, if she's being defensive. So she does get enough digs in at other people that are like very quick and sly that I do believe that she might be playing up the country bumpkin thing for laughs, just like for her own amusement. But she also might not be like it's 50 50. Yep. But uh, Michael has gotten a dress for her and she opens the package and we see the sort of shimmery silvery dress. And she goes, Oh, Michael, I couldn't. My mom told me not to let men buy me expensive presents. And he goes, I didn't buy it. I stole it. And she goes, oh, well, that's okay then. Beat. Beat. Wait, no, it's not. (laughs) And he's like, I mean, stole is a strong word. It's my boss's wife's. And they're due home at 1230. So as long as we leave at midnight, I should be able to get it back and they won't know anything about it. So she is satisfied that this is going to be fine and agrees to put the dress on in the back of a limo and tells him not to look. And he hangs his chauffeur hat over the rearview mirror which i feel like you kind of need your rearview mirror if you're driving around harlem well although it's the 40s maybe there were less cars i was just about to say i feel like fewer people had cars and if most men are at war you know that's like maybe. half the population i right still feel there. like you need your rearview mirror anyways we then see what i think is the most upsetting thing of all we see the sign for this ball which lets us know that this is happening on a Monday evening. Yeah, that's not okay. No. This is very strange. I'm I'm not okay with this being on a Monday at all. It's very uncomfortable. However, as soon as we go inside, I forgive almost all of that because this is the best ball we have ever seen. There is swing dancing. There is a live, like, 12-piece band. It is amazing 1940s costumes. It is beautiful hair. People are doing incredible, like, jitterbug, swing. They're having an absolutely great time. I'm having a great time. I would go to this ball in a heartbeat. Like, would you go to this ball? Please, I'm already there. This is amazing. So this one managed to find the perfect middle ground between everyone is incredibly talented as a dancer And then, like, on the other end of the spectrum, you have, like, it's just a little too choreographed and it doesn't look like people are enjoying themselves. It looks like they're doing a dance. Mm -hmm. Um, This is, like, that perfect midpoint where everyone is so good at what they're doing 
And also it's not too matchy-matchy, so it does just look like couples are having a good time at a dance. Mm -hmm. Those couples are definitely professionals. Yeah, and it was a delight to watch. This ball scene was pretty long, and I was happy with every single second of it. So the stepsisters are there with the stepmother, and no one's asked them to dance yet. And right as one of the stepsisters is complaining about this, a guy walks up to them, and... He looks like he asks the mother for a dance, and she agrees, but then she hands him a stepsister. I'm not super clear on what happened now that I'm saying it out loud. Yeah, so the guy looks at both of the girls, realizes that he does not want to dance with either of them, and looks at the mom, who is the hottest of the three, evidently, and goes, do you care to dance? And she'd go, love to, takes him and just sort of flings him at the taller sister, who I think was Venus. Yes, Venus is the taller sister. Olive is the shorter sister. They're both fairly voluptuous ladies, which is the joke here, because I'm like, I don't know why, I don't know what's happening. They seem to be having a good time dancing. They're not doing, obviously, ridiculous, embarrassing dancing like we've seen before, so I don't know what's happening. Oh, I know what's happening. Okay. Uh, It's a little too risque, because there's, like, a lot of swinging her around and a lot of, like, leg movement. And the skirt is going up significantly enough that the mother looks a little scandalized. And then, like, at the end, Venus jumps into the guy's arms. And he catches her, like, Scooby-Doo style. But then he kind of crumples to the ground. And they're both very winded. And then Venus grabs a tissue to mop up the sweat on her brow. And the tissues are, of course, coming from her bosom. And... After she pulls a tissue, another one pops up, much like in a tissue box. So she pulls it again to dab again, and another one pops up. And this scene goes on for longer than you would expect. And it just keeps getting funnier. It was very funny. I was I was mad about the like fat joke because she's she's too heavy for him to pick up. But then as soon as this bra scene happened, I was back around to not being mad. And then an announcement happens, mm-hmm. and we find out that there is a distinguished guest from Washington, D.C. He's been awarded the Silver Star and the Purple Heart, which I thought was posthumous, but maybe not. It's not. Great. Good. Uh, <laughs> oops. I thought that was funnier than it was. <laughs> and this is Marine Captain Joel Prince. And he's our prince. He's dressed all in white, which is a very cool choice because all of the other men at the dance are wearing black suits. Mm -hmm. And he's got all of his medals pinned to his chest. The stepsisters are just very, very excited to see him. Olive goes, oh, mama, mama, can I have him? And the stepmother tells us that his father is one of the richest men in Harlem. And Venus goes, oh, I better get another box of Kleenex. And then, <laughs> and then yep. Marine Captain Prince yep. what does he say opens to his mouth to share some words of wisdom with all of us. He sure does. He sure does. Um, these medals are nice to have, but they don't really mean all that much. Now, as I said to the president, I'm just an ordinary guy who happens to be in the right place at the right time to save 106 of my buddies. Um... And then he goes on to say, there's only one thing he regretted while in the foxhole, and that's that he didn't leave a girl behind to save herself for him. 
and he's hoping to rectify that while on furlough. And he asks if any of the ladies there have a dance open, and they shriek and mob the stage. And um, it's amazing. <laughs> it's very weird. I enjoy this man so much. I was not on board, and then he immediately won me over because he was such a smarmy, like ridiculous. Like he's just so funny. He's just a stuffed shirt. Like he doesn't actually come across as super smarmy. He comes across as super pompous, in like a "I'm just a low town home good boy who did the things and saved every." Like he doesn't come across as smarmy exactly. I don't know. He was weird, is what I'm saying. No, I love that about him. He's just he has no guile. Is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like he, I think he's trying to be smarmy and charming. But he can't. He's too straightforward and too literal and just a little, like, too bland to, like, manufacture a personality. So yeah. he's like, I'm not a hero. I'm just a hero. Yes. I just, it's, I love him. It's pretty great. He gives me that, like, Buzz Lightyear at the beginning of Toy Story kind mm. of energy. Yep. Before Strong. he finds out that he's a toy. Strong agree. Strong agree. At this point, Michael and Cindy arrive. And we get a funny scene where Michael is trying to buy her some flowers, but he's looking for some cheap flowers. And he gets mad at the lady who's selling the flowers. And he's like, how am I supposed to shop here if you don't have a decent selection? He asks for anything old and cheap, anything with a blight. He's hoping to spend 10, 15 cents. Then Cindy gets out of the car and she is wearing this floor length white dress. It's all white and silvery. It's kind of an A-frame dress, but it's got a little bit of a bustle. It has a sort of mesh overbust part that goes up to a very high collar that's kind of frilly and almost Elizabethan in its rough style. And she's taken all of her pigtails out, which uh, they're not pigtails, by the way, they're they're braids. So I, I don't know how she managed to take that many braids out in a ride across town and have her hair be also then successfully brushed out. So that was a little bit of a moment for me. She just had a magical hairstyle transformation. Mm-hmm. We don't question it. It's fine. She looks stunning. Michael is very moved by this. Mm-hmm. Also, quick confession. I hate the dress. I don't think it's flattering. I think it does look like he got it from his boss's wife, who it's, is possibly, like, in her 60s. It's not... It's definitely an older lady style. It's not what any of the young ladies are wearing, which does make her look very distinctive. And it is sort of a beautiful, magical, white and silvery, shimmery kind of dress. I agree that I didn't like it that much. I would have loved to see her in something fun. Yeah, it just, it didn't match her personality. It didn't seem like it would be fun to wear. No, it was bizarre. Anyways, the point is, is he is so smitten with how beautiful she is that he buys her $2 flowers and puts them. And he doesn't even think about it. He just shoves the money at the lady and is, like, walking to Cindy like he's pulled there by a magnet. Mm-hmm. So, so he puts the flowers on her hair and sends her inside and reminds her that, you know, midnight. And we see that she is wearing sneakers because he didn't borrow his boss's wife's shoes. They're just canvas shoes. They're very plain. I, I would call them tennis shoes, but I'm from Ohio, so I don't know if anybody else does that. Yeah. But they're what... off-white and they're, like... They're dirty and and dirty. Mm -hmm, Yeah. But they look comfy. 
Yeah. So and good for swing dancing, honestly. Honestly, yeah. So she's made a sensible footwear choice. So Michael's watching her walk away and he like whispers to himself, it's strange. Suddenly the car isn't good enough for you. And she turns around and she goes, well, won't you take me inside? And he says, no, I can't. Not in a chauffeur's uniform. And she looks kind of scared and kind of like she wants him to go with her. And he looks kind of like he really wants to go in with her. But he goes, go on, get a move on. You've got to be back here by 12 sharp. And she goes in. Um, and now we're at the ball. Yep. So she wanders through corridors. She comes down the staircase. She loves everything. As she starts to walk down the stairs, we see her stepsisters. And they're like, oh, I bet her folks are just rolling in it. That's a real high tone lady. And then Venus, the tall one, notices that she's wearing tennis shoes. And is like, look at their shoes, though. And Olive goes, don't you know that that's the latest style? It's really funny. I love it when the stepsisters are really into Cinderella at the ball. So it's funny that you say that because now that you've said that phrase, I understand that it was hot, like H-A-U-T-E, like hot couture, Mm -hmm. like high fashion. I heard it as hot. Like that's a hot, tall lady. And I'm into that. So I, I, I thought she was just saying... Oh, no, she says high tone. Oh, high tone. Yeah, that's a high tone lady. Well, I've messed that up twice now. That's great. It was a a challenging line. Anyways, (laughs) so. um, I heard hot, tall lady. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Anyways, moving on. So Olive Olive manages to grab the prince and drag him to the floor where they dance weirdly she manages to dance very aggressively bizarrely with him but he sees cinderella and he goes over to her no 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 he slides all of between his legs onto the floor walks around the dance floor wagging one finger in the air like they do in old-timey cartoons and then spots cindy oh right 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 and then we get this sorry i missed this entirely in my life and then we get this incredible line from olive oh yeah so i actually have this one. Oh, please so uh the prince is trying to make his way to cindy olive thrusts herself bodily between them and presses up against prince very closely and she goes oh i would do anything you want me to do anything at all is there anything i can do to relieve the war effort and prince goes well they do need volunteers to test nerve gas and walks away i don't think he's being a jerk i think that's literally the first thing that came to mind that she could be helpful with i don't even know if he knew she was hitting on him we could talk about that line for the rest of our lives to be perfectly honest that's true but then we get the first thing that i'm actually like mad about that cinderella does because he goes to cindy (laughs) and there is another man bowing over her hand and prince goes may i have this dance and she before turning around says oh i'm sorry this gentleman clearly you know intending to finish that sentence up with this dude just asked me to dance would you like the next one but then she sees him and the lights go all like yellowy and jaundiced and swishy and she just without a word leaves this guy that she just agreed to dance with without a word and just wanders away with a hotter dude which is super rude to be fair the music did slow down and everything in the room like the lights dimmed except for the light around them and that dude saw that happening. Those are very 
noticeable changes to be occurring at the dance. So he knew that this was like a romantic moment they were sharing. As someone who grew up in a dance community where the etiquette of, hey, if you tell someone that you don't want to dance this one, and then you immediately say yes to somebody else, that's pretty rude. And if someone asks you to dance, and then someone who you would rather dance with more asks you to dance that same thing later, you have to be like, no, I am already engaged. Like, would you like the next one? It's, It's just, these rules have been deeply ingrained in me since before I could walk, so I was very offended about this. I mean, we live in a society. Clearly, this is not okay. Yeah, okay. Anyways, so this is a weird time scene, and I eventually realized that what was happening is that this was a montage of the time at the ball elapsing, because we get this yellow light with swishy music, and it's slow, and then it turns pink, and we get very fast, sudden swing dance and then the light goes white again and then it changes to a different color and then there's a tango but there are no cuts it just happens i eventually realized like oh this is supposed to be a montage and not just the weirdest possible mashup song it would be like the worst song in the world and it would be very strange that they kept changing the lighting at this 1940s party yeah anyways the prince goes you're the prettiest one at the ball. And Cindy goes, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. And she goes, no, I'm not. And he goes, who's prettier? And she goes, you are. Then they have sort of a closer dance. And evidently his service cross, because he also has like a distinguished service cross, um, pokes her because the line comes. He goes, I hope my service cross didn't poke you. And she goes, oh, no, it actually felt kind of nice. <laughs> and then he takes it off and goes to give it to her and she goes no i i can't accept this and he goes i understand would you try to pin it back in the same holes when you put it back in <laughs> and now it's a tango it's also a weird tango and michael is just creepily watching sadly through the window i think it's meant to be just sad it is, but, but it is creepy he's standing like in an at an angle that just <laughs> is very looming and it's not good. I, something about the way it was shot is just inappropriate for the emotion they were trying to convey. Yeah. So we start cutting back and forth between Michael outside waiting for Cindy and Cindy and the prince dancing. And Michael starts honking. Cindy and the prince kiss. And Cindy does the leg pop thing that they describe in the prince's diaries. Mm-hmm. Which and also her- featured a scene of changing in the back of a limo, by the way. It does. It does. But this is what allows her shoe to fall off. Michael's getting worried, and he starts honking the horn madly. And eventually she hears it and asks Prince what time it is and realizes it's midnight and races no, away. No, no. I have to tell you all how that conversation goes down. <laughs> she goes, I wish that horn would shut off. By the way, what time is it? He goes, it's 2,400 hours. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's midnight. As if she wouldn't be able to figure out that that, oh, I just, I love this giant, dumb, dumb jerk man. Anyways, so she makes it out. Michael's mad at her. And he's like, seriously, you've been there dancing. I'm going to be fired or dropped in a river. Like, take the dress off, get in the back. 
she asks him if he saw any of it and he's like no no I, I didn't i have better things to do and my note is michael you gotta watch the road my guy because he's not looking at the road at all cindy's not changing yet she's leaned forward propped her head on her hands and he's like well how was it anyway and she goes fantastic and he goes fantastic and she's like really fantastic and then he says to himself well who cares if we're a little late and like this man is so smitten yeah the car stops she gets out he kind of walks out with her for a moment and he says i can't believe it you still look great she says thank you michael and gives him like a platonic kiss on like i think his lips though she gives him three platonic kisses she goes thank you and kisses one cheek thank you kisses the other cheek and then thank you and kisses either his nose or his mouth and then he's like okay i have to go you go take the a train because he has brought her back to his boss's house and she has to go take the a train back to harlem which is the funniest thing she's also only wearing one shoe yes it's incredible and the prince and we cut back to the ball the prince is looking at the sneaker very dramatically we fade to black and then very dramatic music happens and we see a door and it's an old-timey door with writing on it and it goes miles archer private detective and prince is doing a dramatic retelling of the night before we now learn the stakes of this movie and prince goes i want to marry this lady and i want her to, i want you to find her for me i'm shipping out on wednesday and I want to be married before then. Here's the thing. The ball was Monday. This is the next day, so it's Tuesday. So he wants to be married tomorrow morning before he ships out. That's what the timeline of this movie is. She arrived in Harlem on Sunday afternoon. Oh, yes. So just to be clear, the timeline of this entire movie was four days. This detective is amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, he takes on the case pretty excitedly because when the prince hands him the shoe he's like oh well shouldn't be too bad how many one-legged ladies can there be in harlem and the prince is like no no she she has two legs i just have one shoe and they go over the fact that uh he no 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 and then his response to that is oh well that's harder then (laughs) (laughs) the best so they haggle over his fee and First, he charges $6 a day plus car fare. Mm-hmm. And the prince is like, no, just just find her for me. Like, I don't want it per day. Like, it's got to be by Wednesday. I'll give you $1,000. Guys, that is $17,000 in today money. He super duper wants to be married. Miles Archer, private detective, agrees as long as he still includes car fare. And they go down the list and he finds out that Prince doesn't have her name, doesn't nope. know where she lives, nope. and when he asks what does she look like, uh, he's told, like an angel, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. To which private detective Miles Archer asks, well, does she have any scars or moles or missing teeth? Prince gives him a list of everyone invited. It's a comically long, like, Santa list that rolls yeah. out. It's great. He gives him an advance of seven dollars and fifty cents because he's gonna get a suit and a new hat Mm -hmm. he puts on his holster and prince gets a little worried he's like i don't think he'll be needing a gun for this job and he goes no no it's not for a gun takes the shoe slots it into the holster puts the jacket on over it 
and then we get a shoe montage that's Ugly. right this movie has both a private detective and a true classic cinderella shoe montage so this shoe montage is going around to aggressively 1970s houses trying on shoes and we just see the feet we don't see anybody's face really but love what's uh what's playing in the background as this happens that, oh, that sure is a catchy tune it is a catchy tune talon it's uh that old classic your feet's too big which is a real song <laughs> and is i don't know if it's actually louis armstrong singing this version but it it sounds like him and it is a real song that he did sing and it's just like you're a lovely woman of everything about you until i get to your ankles because your feet's too big they're just too big they're too big they're too wide i hate you because your feet are too big <laughs> <laughs> those are the exact lyrics of the song that is not a summary nope that's paraphrasing that's just what happens it's it's a catchy tune though uh not gonna lie one of the women uh, has feet so large that she explodes the shoe and rips a giant hole in it a ballerina <laughs> tries the shoe on unsuccessfully <laughs> uh there's a girl that's on roller skates there's another one that's in high heels we don't see any of the girls like fully we just see their feet and some of them do different like motions like they wiggle their feet around really silly and some of them are like a bunch of feet in a row trying it on and some of them get like their own little spotlight it's a very good shoe montage it is very charming it's very funny the song is ridiculous and then we get to a person who is greasing their whole foot up with vaseline and it turns out that it's olive mm -hmm. one of the stepsisters who just happened to forget that she had Vaseline on the night of the dance, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, she does manage to get it on. And then the detective insists that she walks in it. To which she's like, well, you didn't say I had to walk. And he insists that she walks. So she goes and takes a few steps. She's clearly in a lot of pain. And so she sits down immediately and starts yelling for them to get it off. The stepmother mm -hmm. is still trying to play it cool and is like, I'm sure you can walk for the gentleman. And she's like, no, get it off. It's very funny. Venus then jumps in to save the day and goes, well, I know it's going to fit me. They don't call me rat feet for nothing. And attempts to put it on, but falls off the chair in the process. And we find out that they were the last on the list. Mm -hmm. The private eye thinks for their leaves. time and leaves yeah but just as i'm beginning to get really concerned that he's leaving he walks past michael and michael sees the shoe and they have a lot of very fast dialogue but basically the private eye is like oh you you know something about this shoe and michael's like i'm not telling you i don't know who you are i don't know like why would i tell you anything the guy goes i'm a private eye and he flips michael his badge but really fast and Michael goes, can I see that badge again? And the detective goes, oh, no, I just flip my wallet open every time I say I'm a detective. I don't have a badge. <laughs> and then he's like, look, I'm not going to do anything bad to her. This is just the fancy dude wants to marry her. I'm trying to find her. Like, literally, he outlines what has happened. So I thought that the reason that there's, by the way, half an hour left of this movie at this point. Yeah, we were concerned. I thought that there was going to be some sort of misunderstanding, 
but no everyone in this movie has very strong communication skills apparently and the detective is just like listen girl went to those dams she met captain prince there he likes her he's trying to find her wants to marry her and yep. michael goes he wants to marry her doesn't deserve her michael talks to himself very loudly very often but the detective's like well the girl couldn't do any better which considering he's like a decorated veteran from a wealthy neighborhood family is like a fairly accurate assessment of the situation mm -hmm. and michael goes well what if i said i was better and then to to which miles archer private detective responds i'm not the draft board you don't have to show your nuts to me <laughs> that's working its way into my like regular vocabulary yeah so this convinces michael that this might actually be the best thing for cindy and that he needs to not be an obstacle in this uh scenario so miles archer private detective is very excited to get this news that cindy in fact lives upstairs with mrs hayes but um what what he does is shouts up to the open window lady lady with the ugly daughters and the stepmother pokes her head out and is like yeah <laughs> and he's like get cindy get no he goes do you have a daughter named cindy and she goes yeah and he goes well where is she she's at the store and he's like well get her get everybody she's the one the prince is looking for and he wants to marry her and once again the stepmother goes in a completely flat voice i don't believe it and is told that she's the luckiest mother in Harlem. Then Archer says, I'm going to make a thousand dollars. I'm going to have the money to be what I always dreamed of. Lower middle class. This movie is so funny in a way that feels like very current. I can't believe, I can't believe it was made in 78. Right? So then we cut inside and the stepsisters and stepmother are like, can you believe that Cindy was at the ball and the stepsisters have not clocked into what's really happening yet and they're like are you gonna punish her mama the stepmother rounds on them and she goes punish my own sweet daughter how could you say such a thing don't ever say that again and she goes to walk out the door she's like i'm gonna go tell your father and she goes i always liked her and closes the door i love this woman like she's fantastic she's great she she very specifically announces that she's gonna visit him you know, while well, he's being a doorman at the plaza, at the plaza which point, hotel. which point, Liv and I kind of sucked in our breaths, like, oh, oh. See, I knew that this was coming, uh, because the reviews talk about it a lot. I knew nothing about this going in. I was also starting to get very nervous about how this was going to resolve. Me too. Because, to be clear, I enjoy every time the prince is on screen and they think he's hilarious i do not think he and cindy should end up together and yeah. michael is being very reasonable and not telling cindy that he loves her and trying to sweep her off her feet he's just smitten quietly he's just sad he's just sad and it's mm. this is that thing where cinderella has two possible love interests and it is very stressful as an audience. Yes. Um, yes, it is. 
because she she was super into Prince. They were having the best time at the dance. They were dancing cheek to cheek. They made out. Like she's clearly dreamy over the moon about him. And the movie is like giving us just enough for it to go either way. Mm-hmm. We're like they are both plausible candidates, and I don't know how much the movie hates draft dodgers. Like. Yeah. They call Michael that a lot. If it had actually been made in the 40s, then obviously she wouldn't end up with him. But it's made in the 70s, so maybe she might. We'll keep you in suspense. Yeah. So um, the stepmother uh, arrives at the plaza and the, the doorman opens her and she's like, I told you to take me to the plaza hotel. And the doorman's like, this is the plaza hotel. And she's like, well, then where's Thomas? And um, Thomas is in the men's room. Sarah walks into the men's room. She is very, very mad and starts yelling like, Thomas, some doorman, and he stops her. And he's like, now Sarah. And she goes, a men's room attendant, a lying, deceiving men's room attendant. And, and then he starts singing at her. Well, he goes, well, he goes, something you got to get straight before we fight. Well, he goes, well, I never really said what kind of door. <laughs> but yeah he says you got to get something straight before we have this conversation i ain't no millionaire no movie star no genius but there is one thing at which i happen to excel i'm the best damn men's room attendant in the history of the plaza hotel but the toilet flushes before plaza hotels so it's like syncopated and then that happens every time it is a very good running joke it's built into the song but then um we are having a musical number which as you know means that we need a band. Where is the band? They're in the bathroom stall. Um, a they're six all piece. in the same one. They're all in the same one. Yeah, no, the stall, singular. So the a bathroom stall opens, and a trumpet player walks out, and a saxophone player walks out, and a trombone player walks out, and a man with the, an upright bass walks out, and they roll a piano out, and, and they're singing a pretty great, sort of, uh, like, traditional, just... This is what I do, and I'm good at it. Song. It's also really catchy. It's but then, very, very good, and and then it gets better because well, for the he chorus, needs backup. he needs backup singers for the chorus to you know sing with him in barbershop quartet, and so the only white people in the movie are the rich businessmen who show up to pee in this bathroom, and they all pop their heads up from behind the other four bathroom stalls to sing in barbershop quartet style about this and how he's the best damn attendant in the history of the toilet flush plaza Plaza hotel Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) and so finally the song is sort of wrapping up the band obviously can't stay in this bathroom so they all file back into the single stall and the men all walk past thomas as he like brushes down their coats and straightens their hair and gives them towels and stuff and they all drop nice tips in his thing as he thanks them and says y'all come back see us soon now which i'm like that's i don't want to be told that in a bathroom but okay and the song sort of winds down and he gets right up close to sarah and he goes now i am what i am and i'm not what i'm not you can take it or leave it but i don't have all day and the song ends i was dying it was phenomenal I almost had a shred of respect for him. Yes. In this moment, he is okay. So we cut immediately to the next scene. And apparently, she's taking him and not leaving him. Because Mm -hmm. now he's sitting 
all done up in a suit with his wife and his stepdaughters all around him at their like dining table and the stepmother kisses him on the forehead and he's like oh are you kissing me because i'm sexy and irresistible or because i'm the future father-in-law of the richest man in town be honest and she's like well it's a little both and he he respects that he's also smoking a, a cigar which he wants to light but he doesn't have a, a striking pad for his match, so he lights his match on Olive's butt as she bends over. And it works, obviously. And it works. She's not super thrilled about this, obviously. But I wonder if it's the pig fat. I think it's the rough quality of the dress that she's wearing, like the skirt. Oh. Anyways. I just realized I don't know how matches work. That's things Talon does not know about. Let's... In my defense, they invented the lighter before they invented matches. I'm pretty sure they didn't. Well, now we have to pause so you can look it up. I don't know how we would mention this in the after party. We have to either cut it or keep it in Holy here. Holy shit! You're right! I told you! It's a much I... more complicated mechanism to start a match than it is to just flick the lighter. Holy crap! I- wow! I have learned something today. There you go. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's move on from my shame. Yes, I now join you in your shame. Anyways, so Prince shows up at the house. With the private detective. Mm-hmm. And the stepmother apologizes for the house, and Prince goes, oh, it's no worse than some of the foxholes I've been in. The house, by the way, like, it's fine. It's, it's fine. very clean. It's clean. It looks nice to me. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. They've clearly spruced it up and cleaned things. And Thomas tells Sarah to smile, which she responds extremely appropriately, uh, as any woman would when told to smile. She just bares her teeth. It's, at best, a grimace. At best. And at worst, like, a scowl. Mm-hmm. Possibly a threat. Olive is, or Venus, one of them, is smitten by him and just goes... You're just as gorgeous in the daylight, which, uh, that's a great first line. That's a great intro line to the prince. Oh, right, it is. And he kind of brushes her off as, like, oh, it's just the uniform. And she goes, well, no, other Marines don't look as good as you. And he's like, well, you found me out. But then Olive has a meltdown and throws herself at him and starts screaming that he could do better, that she's a better woman. And... He could have a sweet, loving girl like her. Yeah, and the mother is trying desperately to get her to stop, and there's a big moment of screaming. Finally, Prince sort of stops it, and he goes, It's okay. It's understandable. Let me talk to her. And he takes her aside, but like an inch. He moves her an inch. They're still exactly where they were. I cannot express how much they have not moved at all. And he goes, I have something to say to you which might cause you difficulty. You can't have me. But somewhere out there, there is someone for you. And he'll probably be just like you. And she goes, just my luck. <laughs> it's amazing. So he reiterates that he's got to catch a train to a marine base tonight. So I guess this is actually Wednesday now. It took the detective two days to get through the list. So the prince reiterates that he's got to catch a train to the marine base tonight. And they ask him if he's being deployed. And it turns out that what he's actually doing is posing for a recruitment poster the next mm -hmm. day. Yep. Cindy then walks in and 
the prince goes, Cindy, I have something for you. And he holds up the shoe and it's still ripped, which is a really funny bit of continuity that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. From that one girl who tried it on before. Mm-hmm. And she sits down and she's kind of like very dazzled by all of this. And he gets on the floor and the prince puts his, the shoe on Cinderella. And she goes, well, wouldn't you know it? I just threw the other one away. And she gets up and goes to the window and she yells to the kids down on the street. Hey, you kids, if you find a sneaker in the trash, you bring it back to me. And then the prince asks her to marry him. And her dad decides that he's going to be a father now. And he's going to send Cindy out onto the balcony so he can talk with the captain. Just like high class people do. Yeah. And the stepmother agrees and also goes to leave. But before she does, she leans in to whisper. That is how high class people do it. But don't do it so high class you screw it up. Very funny. And so Prince is like, oh, I'm sure you want to know my religion and if I want to have children and my opinions about things. And the father's like, no, no, no. I mean, we'll we'll get to that. Whatever. How much do you tip in the bathroom? (laughs) And Prince looks appropriately confused by this as a first question. And we don't get the answer to that, which I am going to ask you about in the after party. Yep. Also in the notes. So back out on the balcony, Cindy is talking with Michael and he's sort of packing up and finally she notices that something is up and he tells her that he is enlisting because, you know, they were going to draft him anyways. And she's like, what happened with your job? I thought your like your job kept you from having to go to the war. And he goes, I didn't like my job so much. I, I quit. She looks at him real suspicious and she's like, I feel like there's something you're not telling me. I'm pretty sure there's something hang on did you get fired because of me and he's like yeah and she's like no that's terrible i'm so sad was it because of the dress did you not get it back in time and he's like yeah and she's like well how did they know and he goes well it could have been because when i went to put it away in the closet i turned around and my boss's wife was standing there naked yep yep then cindy very sadly goes like oh why are things going so good for me and so bad for you and he goes well it could be worse you know it'd be worse if it was the other way around meaning meaning it would be worse if bad things happened to her but he had just talked about how he was in a room and his boss's wife had come in naked yes that's exactly exactly (laughs) what i thought too and i was like yeah that would be worse if she walked into her closet and you were naked yeah how would you wind up trying to return a dress naked to your boss's (laughs) wife like please we need to we're going to talk about a lot of these questions in the after party so if you guys want a real deep dive um really you should come join us for this one it's going to be phenomenal so it's a very sweet line, uh, slightly undersold by proximity to a very interesting choice that they've made. Yep. But Cindy realizes that he means that it's important to him that she's happy. And right as she goes, oh, what do you mean? Do you mean if something bad had happened to me and they're like clearly about to have a moment? But then Prince goes, Cindy, may I join you on the fire escape? And she like turns to answer him and then when she looks back michael's already gone and 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 then the prince goes oh my what a beautiful view you can see all the way down to the end of the alley and then he says that 
you know, her stepmother and father have given him permission to ask something. And he says that he doesn't have a way with words. He goes, I guess I express myself best by wiping out machine gun nests. But he, you know, gathers his thoughts and he says, Cindy, there's no other woman I'd be prouder to have as my widow. As my widow. As my widow. widow. Mm-hmm. I... Cindy says she needs time to think. And he goes, well, there's a war on. None of us have the time we think we do. And also I have a photo shoot. And Cindy says, well, you know, I'd really like some time to think it over. And he sings at her, no, you don't. <laughs> he goes, no. And she's like, I really don't. He's like, no. He starts singing this opera no, he says, style. No, you don't every time. It's it's absolutely delightful. It's this operatic almost style of singing. And she's like, I should consider this very carefully. And he goes, no, you shouldn't while singing. But but um, we are now in another musical number. Which means that the band is back in the shot, which we find out by the camera panning slightly up to the balcony right above Cindy and Prince. And they're all crammed into this tiny little balcony. It's adorable. It's like it's a little clown thing. car. Yeah. So basically, the the gist of the princess song is, I'm sure you won't ignore my advice because you're not a dunce. When love happens, it just happens. Don't ask questions. Don't be too smart. You'll just know. Basically, just, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. And so the song sort of comes to a pause and Cindy takes up the main part of the singing and sings it back at him. Like, oh, so when love happens, I'll just know and I shouldn't think it through and I'll I'll just... So she, she repeats it back to him. But as she does, she is transitioning from singing to him the way he's singing to her and singing towards Michael's empty balcony. And it's a very cute moment because you see her turning away from him. But also, at the same time, in order to sing back up to her... The stepmother and stepsister's heads pop out of the windows right next to them all in a row. And every time she's like, it may never happen again. They're like, it might not. And they're just kind of like responding to her singing. It's, it's great. Very funny. So towards the end of the song, she realizes that she is in love with Michael. Prince is ignoring her to sing sort of soulfully out across the alleyway. And she just escapes down the fire escape and uh rifles prince... through the trash and finds her second shoe mm -hmm. and just runs and prince ends his song on sort of a very pitiful last note as he realizes that he's alone on a balcony now the note by the way is the word again because the line is it may never happen again but also it has just happened again that he's been abandoned by a lady missing a shoe mm -hmm. so we now get a scene of cindy running and she is racing across the entire city which again is just full of smog. Uh, I don't know how she hasn't caught up with him yet. He left like two minutes before and he was walking. So I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know how long these song numbers take in universe. It might be like a time warp situation. That's fair. But she knows that he's going to sign up to, to enlist. So she goes to the draft office. And we get sort of a live cam for the first time where the camera, rather than being stationary, is following her over her shoulder. And it's very frantic so it's this really visceral change of pace for the movie but we get one of the most delightful scenes ever now so cindy runs in and asks the first officer she sees did a man just enlist he goes yes 14 million you're not gonna find anyone here and 
So she just thanks him and continues running. And as we follow her, she's running through multiple exam rooms and we kind of get like the effect of her running through these rooms is that there's a guy getting an eye exam and as she runs in front of him, he goes B, F, pretty girl, C. Then she runs through a room where there's a hearing exam going on and the doctor is like asking the guy, can you hear me? What about now? And he's just not responding at all. Mm-hmm. And then she pokes her head in and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I've, I'm just trying to find a man. And the guy turns around and he goes, oh, that's okay, ma'am. Uh, and then he's caught. And it's yeah. a very like, oops moment. It's, um, it's delightful. Then she runs into like a classroom auditorium (laughs) it's the best this is this is the initial iteration of standardized testing Ooh, i felt it deep in my soul and it's been it's been a while since i've had to take one so there's an officer up at the front and he's like we are now on question 80 question 80 asks if you have ever been in jail if you have ever been in jail answer yes to question 80 if you have not been in jail answer no to question 80 and a doofus dude in the back raises his hand and goes, what do I do if I've never been to jail? And the officer army guy goes, if you've never been to jail, you will answer no for question 80. Oh my god. And so Cindy runs oh to the front god. of this classroom and she goes, has anyone seen Michael? And the army dude looks back at her, looks at the class, looks back at her, and with his very world-weary old army guy expression goes, has anyone seen Michael Simpson? If you have seen Michael Simpson, you will please answer yes. If you have not seen Michael Simpson, you will answer no. And this same doofus guy is like, what if we don't know who Michael is? And he's like, if you don't know who Michael is, you will answer no. And Cindy gets frustrated with this nonsense and just leaves the room. The next room that she runs into is the room where the guys are just getting sworn in now. Mm-hmm. So she finds Michael on the back. And she runs to him and she tells him that she she picks him. She'd rather start with him than live in a palace with that captain. And he goes, oh, my God, we must be men for each other because I just decided to be with a stupid girl. And this is very funny, very sweet. There, He's about to be sworn in and his face like falls and he's like, oh. And the officer about to swear them in pauses so that he can flip on a fan so that the American flag on the pole in the room will be billowing. Yep. He reads them the allegiance. So he tells them to solemnly swear true faith and allegiance to the USA. And so Michael repeats it. And then he looks at Cindy next to him and he goes, and to you, honey. So this is now their wedding vows, essentially. Yeah. She goes, well, right back at you. And the next part of the oath is like to serve honestly and faithfully against any enemies. Michael repeats it and he goes, if you have any enemies, you just let me know, honey. And Cindy's like, I love everyone right now. It's great. And then the next part of the oath is I will obey officers of the United States. And then there's the bit where they like put their hands on their hearts to swear. And Cindy does that bit too. And she goes, congratulations, honey. I think we're married. And there's yep. like jaunty military music and they walk out. And then it gets real sad. It does get real sad. They because they're saying goodbye to each other. Yeah. 
and it's like, like take care michael i love you i love you too you take care cindy i'll write to you six times a day and she's like yes i will too i'll miss you me too and they look at each other and then they're like wait um cindy you don't have to say goodbye until we get to the train station and she's like oh yeah uh, and so they walk off together but then a like a drill sergeant guy who is also evidently our narrator comes out and goes very aggressively like deadpan straight down the camera and everyone and i do mean everyone absolutely everyone lived happily ever after and then we cut back to just playing tuxedo junction and we see what happens in the aftermath the yeah. the dad becomes a doorman we see him in the fancy red jacket the stepsisters become professional wrestlers and they're also clearly like the bad guys the heels because everyone's booing them and they just like hold ha their hands up in the air and they look delighted by it yep detective miles archer you thought we weren't going to find out what happens to him but we do he uh took all of his money and gambled it and lost it but his uncle died and he inherited a shoe store and so he achieved his dream of becoming lower middle class and he's putting a shoe on a lady and smiling about it and mm -hmm. i wondered like if that was a reference to all the shoes he had to put on I... and how he can help people wear shoes that fit i think so. i don't know i think so i want to think that the prince, he's fine. Nothing bad happened to him in the war. And after the war, he posed for recruitment statues. And then we just get a shot of him on his horse standing next to a giant, like, block of stone. Like, a giant tower of marble. It's, it's great. And we find out that the stepmother became a very happy step-grandmother to a baby named Cindy. And she's holding this baby and kind of cooing over it. And the baby starts to cry. And the stepmother goes, oh, you want your mama. You ain't got no taste. <laughs> I, I love this woman. What's happening? She's kind of incredible. And then the narrator tells us that Michael was maybe the happiest of all because he got the girl. Mm -hmm. And so Michael takes the baby from the stepmother and goes outside onto the balcony. So apparently they're still living with cindy's parents so now they've added one more person no but, two more people to the household but but the the fire escape now has like a a pergola over it so it's it's got a like a pretty roof thing well anyway cindy's on the balcony with like a bassinet and she holds up the baby and the band is outside on the street but they're holding teeny tiny little versions of their instruments with big red bows on it's them. It's the cutest thing. And the they're playing world. them very quietly so they don't it's, wake the baby. Who's already and awake, but waves it's at great. them. It's so good. And she sings a song and it's just like love and mad love is magic. Some people don't believe in magic. Some people don't believe in gravity. I wrote in my notes, ma'am, please do not mess with gravity. <laughs> love is magic. And because this is an old-timey movie and it's a real baby, the baby is just sort of crying and babbling over her song, which is pretty funny. It's adorable. Okay, the song also has this really, like, fun line where she's like, oh, you know, some people think that there's no magic and everything works according to laws and those folks ain't stupid. With knowledge, their heads are full. 
but I just got one word to say to them all. Bull. That yes, that line is great. And then and then we get a flashback to the entire uh, movie. The entire movie. And we spend a lot of time at the ball with Prince. And I'm like, why are we flashing back to Prince? We we've I mean, he wasn't an important part of the movie, but like he's not an important part of her love story. She knew him for like I'm sorry, one day as opposed to two days, like with Michael? Uh, she knew Michael for four days. And she's now been married to him and had a baby with him when the baby is like six or nine months old. So we just see the movie again. Just different big important moments that happen to her from her like getting off the bus and hugging her dad to like, yeah. like the ball. Just everything all in order. And the whole song is just like love is magic, love is miracle. And she's addressing this whole song to the baby Cindy. But it's confusing because her name is also Cindy. So she's mm -hmm. like love is the magic Cindy. And then the baby babbles at her. And I'm like, that's right, baby. And the song ends with, love is magic, Cindy. And if it ain't, it sure feels like it is. And then credits start to play. And we're back to watching the band in the middle of the dirt road where they started. And then just credits roll. That's the end. The end. And we are we are done. That is the movie, Cindy. So um, highs and lows. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, my high a lot of highs to pick from a lot of highs to go through i think my high is every time the band appears in the scene where the music is playing i just it's so charming i just i love when a movie plays with the scope of what is like literally happening in the movie and what isn't and it's just so fun and it's cute and the music was good so that's like a double two birds with one stone kind of i like when the band is there yeah. uh let me see my low i have to think about this one moment my low was the dress i didn't like cindy's dress that's literally like the one thing i didn't like in this movie i i really found the dress to be like both not fun and not flattering it felt more like a 70s dress than like a 40s dress to me. And maybe that's what was happening. But it just yeah, didn't like it. You're not wrong. Like she's beautiful. So of course she looked nice. And it was a sparkly white dress and a sea of like other colored dresses. So she stood out. So it did everything it was supposed to. I just personally didn't like the dress. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Okay, how about you? What are your highs and lows? Uh, my high is definitely specifically the music. I've been singing Sugar Hill Ball and the best damn men's room attendant at the Plaza Hotel for a while. Upon finishing this movie, I immediately got those clips up and forced my husband to watch them. I interrupted him in a bath to force him to watch these. <laughs> it was not optional. These are delightful. I am honestly just gobsmacked at how fundamentally fantastic. Um, Usually when a song in a musical comes on, I feel a lot of dread and I'm always nervous. And sometimes there's like one or two good songs and I'm like, you know what? It's fine that it was a musical. It was fine. I'm delighted this was a musical. Absolutely. I thought all of the musical numbers were really fun. They added a lot to the story and mm -hmm. they were like just enjoyable as music and also enjoyable as like character beats. And they were mm -hmm. funny. They were great. My low was we didn't talk about it a ton but there are a lot of uh little one-liner jokes about like 
the dad being like, oh, well, he sure knows how to speak to his woman. And a lot of jokes about like, oh, I don't want a smart girl. There's a lot of weird jokes about like how to speak to your woman, which I hated every time they happened. I'm so sorry. That's a dumb low. My low was the father. The father was the worst. He was horrible. He ruined everything. He handled everything as badly as humanly possible. Made everything worse. I hated him. I didn't hate him because the movie knew that he was the worst. Yes. Within the context of the universe, I didn't need to like him. So I was free to enjoy him as a sort of like inept villain. As an inept villain, he was funny. As a character, if we think about the actual role that a father ought to play, was deeply upsetting, and I hated it. But that's fair. But it was it was still enjoyable to watch. It was just upsetting if you think about it a lot. It's upsetting because we like Cindy, and you know the stepmother's fine. It it's fine that her husband sucks because she's basically a Disney villainess, and she can handle it. And, and the stepdaughters are annoying. The, the stepsisters, they're mean and funny and, yeah, like, the, petty. The so that's fine. It's yeah. just, like, it sucks that that's Cindy's dad specifically because Cindy, like, needed more people in her corner. Yeah. Okay, so what would you change about this movie? I would have a single line that tells me how old Cindy is. <laughs> that would be that would have been really nice. I would have liked that. Or I w- you know what? If she had just not said that line about not having a husband because she's a kid in the hopscotch game, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. Yeah, I would have assumed like, ah, oh, she's 17 or 18 or 19. It's fine. It's the 40s. It's it's fine. Mm-hmm. How about you? What what would you change about this? So this is a weird one. I would keep the father character because he was really funny and he made a lot of the jokes in the movie possible. What I would have happen is Cindy's father marries Sarah and then dies. And then Sarah remarries his brother. Uh-huh. And his brother is like, oh, our mom is sick and can't take care of my niece anymore. But then he would just be a crappy uncle. I'm fine with that. Oh, I'm okay. perfectly fine with him being a crappy uncle. Because that would be like, oh, I-, I never expected to have my niece come live with me. I- why didn't I tell you that I had a niece that's not really relevant? Like, who doesn't tell someone that they have a niece? Like, that's, a- that's not a thing. If I was like, husband, I have a secret nephew, he'd be like, I- okay. And, like, that was a thing that happened, where, like, someone became ill, suddenly a relative would have to come in. It would fix a lot of the problems, so I would just, I would have him be her uncle, who was her stepmother's second husband. I would just, I'd fix it that, or third husband, I guess. I'd fix it that way. Okay. I, that doesn't make me feel better, but I also didn't feel bad in the first place, so I'll, I guess that's fine. Yeah. All right. Do you think our listeners should watch this? my god yes it was so fun okay like listen it's set in the 40s it was made in the 70s not all of it has aged very well but i think it's just like a very well-written movie it's another tv movie that's like weirdly just very very good the production values are not incredible the costuming like i said i'm kind of like eh. but 
the acting is so good. The writing is so good. The music is so good. And didn't we mention it has an all-black cast for Cinderella? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's wild. It's great. It's just very, very good. And it's very special for being what it is. Yeah. So, and like, it, there were bits of it that didn't age awesome, but none of it aged horrifically. So, yeah, we agree. Listeners should definitely watch this. This was a delight. It's on YouTube. It's, like, 90 minutes. You should definitely check it out. I think you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. So, final grade for this movie. Oh, it's definitely an A. There's a couple of things that I didn't, like, super love, so I can't quite give it an A+. Plus, but, no, you know what? I take it back. Uh, cut all of that. This is an A+. Plus. I had such a good time. I really, really liked it. I was so worried she was going to end up with the prince. I love that she ended up with Michael. It was really good. How about you? What grade do you give this? So as soon as we finished watching it, I was like, okay, well, I'm not giving this an A. This had too many things wrong with it. It had a second love interest. I didn't like her dress. There were a lot of jokes about stupid girls and how they're the best. There were a lot of things that were, you know, minorly technically irritating about it. So I was like, I'm going to give it a B plus. But uh, we've had to wait a couple of days to record uh, after watching, which normally we we record pretty much right after. And in that time, I realized that I have to give this an A because I love it. I'm so happy I watched it. I loved everything about it. I was like, well, maybe I could give it an A minus. But then I realized that I gave Sneakerella an A minus, and this is definitely better than Sneakerella. So yeah, like I enjoyed Sneakerella. I don't yeah. think I'm gonna watch Sneakerella again. I would watch this again. I would watch this again, like, this weekend. Right? This movie was great. So, absolutely. I'm not giving it an A+. There were too many things that irritated me about it. Definitely an A. Would watch again. Would recommend. This is a delightful movie. What are you doing listening to us? Go go watch watch it right now. Yeah, go watch it. Just turn off the show. I mean, don't. We love you. But you should watch it. I mean, you can. We're going to do our outro. But, like, it's cool if you stick around. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's almost midnight. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find us. We'd love to hear from you. So follow us at CinderPod on Twitter and Instagram, like our Facebook page, or email us at thecinderellapodcast at gmail.com. If you want bibbity bobbity bonus episodes or to hear us discuss this week's Cinderella, but with more adult questions, language, and beverages, Join us in the Ever After Party at patreon.com slash cinderpod. Our intro music is Bad Ideas by Kevin McLeod, and you can find him at incompetech.com. So, Liv, what are we watching next week? Next week, we're going to be watching Lottie's Ashenputtel. It is a 1922 movie. It is incredibly beautiful, early, I don't even know what to call it because it's not stop motion animation, but it's like paper art. It's incredibly beautiful. I'm so excited about it. Ooh. I don't know what's happening with my lineup i try really hard to balance like long movies short movies old movies new movies theoretically good movies bad movies so that we don't have you know 17 stinkers in a row and but then i might have the podcast <laughs> and quit the podcast but i might have screwed up because this last three have all been really good i don't know that we've had three all good ones in a row before i'm gonna have to check well we'll I discuss don't even it in know the after that party. we've had three good ones that are this good all in one season before i we're gonna talk about it in the after party but anyways next week lottie's ash and puddle it's good it's beautiful so that's what we're doing next week 
I can't wait. It's gonna be but great. I have to. <laughs> or no, I, I don't have to. You yeah. guys have to. So yeah. until next week, we hope you have a happily ever after. <laughs>